being born again is so important. It is the most important thing that can ever happen to you in your human history. And if you don't believe that, I hope to be able to show you that this morning from Scripture. Being born again will change your life. You will come to experience God's love in a powerful way that you never dreamed possible because when the new birth happens, the love of God is poured out in our hearts, the Scripture says. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in a series of special messages that were delivered by Dr. Brogy over the past couple of years, and our first sermon is entitled, Understanding the New Birth. Through biblical exposition, Pastor Carl brings clarity and context to John 3.16. This message is for everyone today, and prayerfully, we hope it helps to encourage and equip all Christians to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Please join us in John chapter 3, verse 11, as we begin. Take God's word with you this morning. Turn to John chapter 3, John 3. Our visitors may be interested to know that we've been working our way chapter by chapter and verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And most recently, we are looking on the subject of heaven, and we will pick up there next time. What does the Bible really teach and say about heaven? But today, the subject is understanding the new birth, because without it, the Bible is clear, you cannot go to heaven. John 3.16 is one of the greatest verses, the most memorized verse in, I suppose, all of the Bible. But unfortunately, many Christian people don't know the context of John 3.16. So this sermon is for everyone within the sound of my voice. If you've never come to know the Lord personally, let God speak to you today. Don't resist His Spirit. But also, if you know Christ... Know the context of this verse, because it will equip you to share the good news with people who have never found Jesus. Many of you have heard of George Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist, kind of the Billy Graham of his day. And uh, he once wrote Benjamin Franklin, a well-known, of course, uh, statesman and inventor. And Franklin was known not just as an inventor and a statesman, but he's also known for his correspondence. When people wrote him, famous or just the average Joe, so to speak, it didn't make any difference to him. He wrote them back. And one day, Whitfield, knowing that he would respond to his letter, wrote Ben Franklin, and he penned these words. Let me read them to you. I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world as you have made such progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity, I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study, and when mastered, will richly repay you for your pains. Being born again is so important. It is the most important thing that can ever happen to you in your human history. And if you don't believe that, I hope to be able to show you that this morning from Scripture. Being born again will change your life. You will come to experience God's love in a powerful way that you never dreamed possible, because when the new birth happens, the love of God is poured out in our hearts, the Scripture says. 
And so let's begin by reading our passage. We're going to focus on verses 11 to 21, but to give us a little bit of a running start, I want to begin reading in verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, the Scripture is on the screens in front of you. Follow along now. It says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil." For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now, I hope you remember the occasion for these words. The Lord Jesus has already performed his first miracle in a place called Cana in the Galilee region. That's recorded in the first half of chapter 2. And from there, he spent a few days in Capernaum. He was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth, and so he had a new hometown. The Bible calls it his hometown, a place called Capernaum, which became the headquarters for his ministry for the next three years. And more miracles are recorded in that particular place than any other place in all of the Bible. After he'd spent some time in Capernaum, he made his way down to Jerusalem where he cleansed the temple. And while in Jerusalem on one particular Passover, the last few verses of chapter 2 tells us that Jesus did many other signs or miracles you could render it. There was a man who was there. He was rich. He was religious. He was respected. He's called in our passage this morning a ruler of the Jews, and he was obviously watching Jesus by the question that he asked. His name, of course, is Nicodemus. And like most Jews who knew their Bibles, he would have been looking for the restoration and the inauguration of the kingdom of God that the Scriptures promised in the Old Testament. Perhaps this one who had been doing these miracles and this one who with such incredible authority cleansed the temple, he thought maybe he is indeed the promised Messiah. And the historical record of Nicodemus in this encounter with Jesus, and by the way, it's found only in John's gospel, it reveals some of the world's greatest truths, without a doubt the world's greatest texts, and also one of the world's greatest tests. And if you can understand and believe this portion of Scripture this morning, 
It will change your life. You'll know how to be born again. And if you already are, this text will help you explain it because there's nothing more important in this whole world that you could share with another person than how they could come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So there in your outline, understanding spiritual birth, the first point is the world's greatest truths. This discussion with Nicodemus reveals some of the world's greatest truths. Now, he comes to him one night, and he wants to talk to Jesus about miracles. And Jesus speaks to him about the second birth, but in one sense, he doesn't change the subject because the second birth is really the greatest miracle that you can ever know in your human experience. And so Jesus explains to Nicodemus about a miraculous birth that comes from above, which, by the way, is the purpose for which John writes his book. He said, these things have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing, you might find life in his name. And so John wants all of us reading this gospel to know the miracle of the second birth. And so by design, he covers this encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus. Notice he comes to him and he says, Rabbi, we know you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs or these miracles that you do unless God is with him. And with those words, Jesus begins his dialogue with Nicodemus on the subject of the second birth. And the dialogue runs really all the way through verse 10, where three times he tells Nicodemus, if you want to see, that is, with spiritual eyes, we might say, understand the kingdom of God. And if you want to enter the kingdom of God, he uses two words, see and enter, then you must be born again. Now, on occasion, people have said to me, well, you're kind of narrow for saying you must be a born-again Christian to go to heaven. And I said, look, that's not my thought. That's Christ's words. He said, you must be born again. And if he's God in human flesh, he can be as narrow as he wants to be because everything he says is absolute truth. So Nicodemus, like us, need a birth from above if we're going to see the inside of God's kingdom. Truly, truly, I say to you, look at verse 3, follow the flow of thought into our text. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? I don't understand, Jesus. How can a man be born two times? Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let me explain to you, Nicodemus. If you want to go to heaven, you must be born physically. That's your water birth. The water breaks and you come into this world. But you must also be born spiritually. By the way, this verse has nothing to do with baptism. Some have read baptism in this to defend that baptism somehow washes away sin. We know that's not true because the Bible does not teach it. The Bible says, first believe, get saved first, and then after you're saved, get baptized. Now, man reversed it. Around the third century, we started baptizing little infants, later asking them to believe. It's just the opposite in the Bible. Believe, Jesus said, and then be baptized. But baptism doesn't save you. The gospel saves you. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel 
because it's the power of God for salvation. I was speaking to a Christian school in Atlanta on Friday, and I asked the students present, I said, you need to know what the gospel is because the gospel is the power of God to save you, and you need to be able to say in three words what the gospel is, death, burial, and resurrection. Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance the gospel, that Christ died, was buried, and raised. And that baptism has nothing to do with the gospel. Paul will tell the Corinthians, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He separates baptism from the gospel. Baptism is important after you're saved. It has nothing to do with how you get saved. And so Jesus further explains it. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's your first birth. That's your physical birth. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That's your second birth, when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Because you see, Nicodemus, flesh gives only birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spirit. Physical birth is one thing. Spiritual birth is quite another. So he says in verse 7, for this reason, do not be amazed. Don't be shocked. Thorazo, don't be blown away. It's a very powerful word that I said to you, you must be born again. Jesus teaches that you are in one of two kingdoms today. You are either in the kingdom of the forgiven or you are in the kingdom of the condemned. He will highlight that truth in this passage. You are either in the kingdom of light or you are in the kingdom of darkness. You are either in the kingdom of God or you are in the kingdom of Satan. You are in the kingdom that will someday bring you to heaven or you are in the kingdom that will, without change, in the end, bring you to hell. And so Jesus wants Nicodemus to understand because he's compassionate. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He wants him to know how he can enter into God's kingdom. But getting there the way Nicodemus thought would be like taking a fish that you like, you feed, you enjoy them, and you want to make them your pet fish, so you take them out of the aquarium and you carry them around in a box. Well, he won't be your pet for very long. And Jesus wants Nicodemus to know that you cannot breathe through the gills of Judaism, through religiosity, through a righteousness that you earn and achieve and enter God's kingdom. You need to be radically changed, just like a fish would have to be radically changed to be able to live outside of water. You need to be radically changed. You need to be born from above if you're ever going to enter God's kingdom. Well, notice Nicodemus does not get the message. He says in verse 9, how can these things be? Please tell me, Rabbi. How does the second birth take place? Because I don't know. Now, he's moved from where he was. His first question was, how can a man be born twice? And it concerned more the possibility of the second birth. But in this question, it concerns the process of the second birth. Jesus answered, verse 10, and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? It's articular in most Bibles. It doesn't say a teacher. The old King James put a teacher. The new King James rightly renders it the teacher because the article is present in the original. And so here in our English Bible this morning, are you the teacher? In other words, he's not just saying you're a teacher. You're the teacher. We know he's coming representing a group of men. He is a teacher of teachers. Are you the teacher of 
teachers, are you the most reverend professor doctor and you don't understand these things? You don't know what the Old Testament teaches about the birth from above? Now, Jesus' question implies that he could have understood this, that he should have understood this. Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Now, remember, up until this time, Jesus has not told Nicodemus how to get the new birth. He's just been speaking of the necessity of the new birth. But now he's going to explain to him how to get the new birth. And you and I need to be able to explain to people that we love and care and whom God brings into our pathway how they can be born again. Now, you can't tell them what you don't know. And if you're not born again, the first step is for you to have that birth. And so now Nicodemus is silenced. It goes from a dialogue to a monologue. Notice what Jesus says in verse 11. Truly, truly, literally, amen, amen, or the old English renders it, verily, verily, whenever you see those two words put together, it's like, what I'm about to say is super important, so don't miss it. This is the third time he uses that expression in this conversation. Truly, truly, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. I hope you notice in the Greek New Testament, and it's brought out in our English Bibles, they, they could have technically added another we and be correct. All four verbs are in the first person plural. We speak, we know, we testify, we have seen, and they do not accept our testimony. Who's the we here? Jesus is identifying himself with the prophets of the Old Testament. All you have to do is read Ezekiel or say Jeremiah, where those are two major prophets who speak about the birth from above, who speak of the new covenant where God would put his spirit within us. We speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen in you, and you is in the plural. And that, by the way, is one of the blessings of the Old English because they have two words for you. They have a plural you and a singular you. It doesn't come out in our English Bible, but the context, because he is coming to represent a group of people, we know that you have come from God. You is plural, meaning you people, you Nicodemus and the Jews at large, do not accept our testimony. Then Jesus tells him in verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is referring to this conversation he just had with him. Nicodemus, up until this point, you cannot understand this truth for what reason? Because you don't believe the truth. The omniscient Son of God is able to read Nicodemus's heart, and he says, you don't believe. Now, people often, I've heard it preached before, that this is a record of Nicodemus's conversion. It is not. It is the first step in his conversion, but he's not converted yet. He's still in unbelief. You do not believe. But thank God, some three years later, we see that he came to genuine faith, and someday you'll meet him in the kingdom. You can read John 19. But right now, he's in unbelief, which, by the way, is the reason people are lost. In verse 11, Christ tells Nicodemus that he and the people he represents 
would not accept, would not receive his testimony or witness because they do not believe. And it's so it's unbelief that is the father and the root of all sins. So don't confuse knowing all this theology with genuine conversion because a person can know a lot of theology and not necessarily have believed. You don't get it because you don't believe it. And really, it doesn't matter how well-educated you are, whether you have a PhD in the Scriptures that we would say Nicodemus, in essence, had, or whether you are a stark Aborigine native. God has spoken to everyone in some way through both the creation and the conscience. In the opening chapter in John 1 in the prologue, Jesus is described as the true light who enlightens every man. But as we'll see in a moment, the problem is that men love the darkness rather than the light. And so it's not an intellectual problem in the end. It is in the beginning. We're all born in ignorance. We just don't automatically know the gospel. We have to somewhere along the way hear it. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, speaking of Jesus, will be saved. But how can you call upon him in whom you have not heard? And how will you hear without a preacher? And the preacher has to go and tell you this good news, the Scripture says. And the preacher there in Romans 10 is not just a professional like me, but all of us. We're all called preachers. We're all called priests. We all share a number of terms together as God's people. So it's unbelief that begets ignorance. And if a person remains in ignorance, it's typically rooted in his unbelief. And it's a principle that runs all the way through Scripture, that a person can stay in ignorance because God refuses to give them any more revelation about himself because they will not respond to the revelation that he has already given them. So it is unbelief towards the truth that keeps a man in darkness. If I told you earthly things, verse 12, and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So while the new birth is from above, in one sense it's earthly, and that it takes place on this earth, and its effects can be seen on this earth. I was born again when I was 18 years old. It took place in a classroom. It had nothing to do with the school I was attending, but that was just the location where I believed on Christ and was born again. So Nicodemus, if you can't believe the simpler things that you should be expected to believe as a teacher of Israel, and if you can't experience right now a new birth that takes place on earth, then how can I give you more profound, complicated truths that are heavenly in nature? Some teacher you are, Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus needs to come to grips with where he really is. Nicodemus, if you don't understand this earthly miracle from above, you're not going to be able to really understand and perceive greater truth. Look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Why can Jesus speak about heaven with such authority? Because of what he says here. He descends from heaven. 
Now, I know you meet these people, and we'll talk about it a little bit in our series on heaven from the Revelation. They say, well, I died on the operating table, and I went to heaven, and, you know, God and I had this conversation. There are whole books written on it, and magazine articles written habitually in magazines like Charisma that has recently slandered a great man of God in our nation, John MacArthur. But you see, they put everything with experience above everything else. Just because you've experienced something doesn't make it legitimate. Everything that is spiritual is not spiritually true. And it may be that your heart and lungs stopped on an operating table and you, and you had a lack of, lack of oxygen to the brain and maybe you thought something in a dream, but you didn't die and go to heaven. The Scripture is clear, it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. James is very, very clear that death does not take place, he says, until the Spirit leaves the body. And when the Spirit leaves the body, it never comes back into that body. So it has nothing to do with the physiological signs on an operating table. Death happens when the Spirit leaves, and when the Spirit leaves, it either departs, absent from the body, present with the Lord, or absent from the body, present in Hades. But some people have had this experience, and they're convinced it's true. Again, it may be oxygen deprivation. Sometimes it's greed, and we'll speak of this recently of a book that was done, and then the guy came out and said, I was a big fraud and a fake, but I made millions of bucks. <laughs> on the backs of naive evangelicals who no longer know their Bibles, or sometimes it's just downright deception. The devil is a deceiver. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one can speak with such authority except Jesus because he left heaven and took on our humanity. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're not celebrating next month Christ's birthday. We're celebrating his earth day. The one with no beginning or end leaves the presence of the Father, and He takes on our humanity. And so, you need to make sure that you've had this birth from above, that you have been born again. And so, Jesus is going to relate the new birth to an illustration. He wants Nicodemus to get this. And so, here's a man who's been ingrained in the Scriptures for probably decades. And so he can speak to him in one way that he cannot speak, say, to the woman at the well in the next chapter as it's recorded. But before I get to the illustration, let me ask you this question. On a scale of zero to 100, how sure are you that you're born again? Did you mark out an answer there on the paper? I hope you did, member and visitor alike. Now, just saying you're 100% sure you're born again doesn't make it true. Jesus speaks in the end of a great multitude of people who are absolutely convinced they are going to heaven, and He'll say to them, I never knew you, depart from me. And so the second question is equally important there in your note-taking outline. If you were to stand before God and God asked you, if being born again is necessary to enter my kingdom, tell me how to be born again. I mean, God won't ask you that question, but if He were to ask you that question, 
what would you say? Please join us tomorrow as Pastor Carl continues his sermon on understanding the new birth. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program UNB019. Please remember you can support the ministry of Search the Scriptures by calling or you can give online at searchthescriptures.org. Your generous donation plays an important role in providing biblical teaching and spreading the gospel. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.